0: You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. So my name's Scott Baker. I am honored to be speaking to you today on our, our second sermon on spiritual disciplines. So we're going to start by recapping a bit from last week. So if you're anything like me, you grew up in a church that was kind of belief-focused, right? You were a Christian because you believed certain things, and the sermon was usually a person coming up there telling you a bunch of stuff that you should believe. And you even called yourself a believer. And that's fine, but, like, I know that I've gone through periods in my life where my belief has changed, I've changed what I believe about certain things, and I start to wonder, well, you know, now that my beliefs have changed, am I even a Christian? That's so why I kind of like these sermons about spiritual disciplines. Because we get to get dig into a bit of like practice. Like, what does a Christian do? And if your beliefs change, maybe you have those practices to fall back on. It's like, yeah, well, Christians do things. And that's part of what makes you a Christian, is not just what you believe, but what you do. Because Jesus called us to be disciples. That word disciple and that word discipline is. Essentially the same word. Um, And disciples are defined by what they do. And disciplines can be learned and practiced. And even in times when your beliefs are in transition, we can turn to those disciplines and still be disciples of Christ. So it's one of the reasons I kind of like sermons like this. Steve asked me to recap what spiritual disciplines are not so that we can... Remember that. It's not a measure of how spiritual you are. It's not a way to win favor with God. They're not necessarily unpleasant, and they are not the end goal. Again, the end goal is to follow Jesus, and spiritual disciplines are tools to help us do that. If you are able to do that without those spiritual disciplines, somehow, more power to you. Those little books last week... Everyone got a little booklet. I hope you all brought your little booklet today. If you weren't here last week, there's a basket full of little booklets at the back. <sighs> this has happened before when we've done things with little booklets. If you were here last week and you got a little booklet, but you just forgot yours, you, you don't get to take another one. We run out of booklets very quickly. I forgot mine. This is, I'm going to put this one back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you'll have to just take your notes on some other piece of paper and transfer them over when you get home or something like that. All right, Steve also talked about Sabbath, and I plucked this slide from his sermon as kind of a a recap of what he talked about Sabbath. Sabbath offers us rest and restoration. It reminds us we are not what we do or what we achieve. This then allows us to love God and to love our neighbor better. So Steve challenged us all to do some Sabbathing last week. So I don't know, you don't have to raise your hands or anything, but did anybody do some some intentional Sabbath thing? Our family did on Friday night. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, like it, it doesn't always happen happen on Sundays. But, uh, but yeah, if you were able to do that, if you're able to reflect on how that affected you and put that in your book, that's the idea of this series as we go through. So I... Steve gave me a big list of the disciplines. He says, you can pick which one you want to do on January 14th. And I was looking at the list, and there's some things on the list that I was like, yeah, this is something I kind of practice in my life, and there's some things on the list that I don't, right? And I didn't practice. And I was having trouble deciding, should I go with one of the things I'm good at or one of the things I'm not good at? And I talked to my wife about it, and she was kind of thought that was a strange question. She's like, obviously, pick something you're good at. I was like, no... I feel called to like talk about something that is challenging me in my life, and so I picked prayer because like I am not an expert on prayer, nor do I even have a like a good prayer life. Um, it was funny talking to Robin this morning because she was laughing because like my aversion to prayer is well known to my home group. It's like this just doesn't do anything for me, and I've I confessed that before. So. I'm speaking from a place of learning, not a place of any kind of expertise, and I do want to. There are great prayers in our congregation, and uh, you know, really, they're one of the kind of leaders of our congregations from behind the scenes. So I went to prayer time at 9:15 today. We do that the second and fourth Sunday of every month. It's the first time we've ever gone, so uh, so yeah. Please join those people. They are they are good prayers. So, prior... December 17th is when I agreed to do this, and that's when I, I kind of kicked my prayer life up a little bit. Before then, my prayer life really consisted of... Yeah, just praying with my family every night before bed. Those are pretty... No offense, family, but those are pretty perfunctory prayers. God, thank you for my family. Help us sleep really well tonight. Have us help. Have a good day tomorrow. That, that kind of thing. We, we take turns and we go through. Um... And then about before supper, we pray together about half the time, I would say. And again, those prayers are even shorter. And then kind of in a strange one, I pray at work kind of a lot because I work in a First Nations organization. We often pray to open meetings and pray to open ceremonies. And it's a bit strange because those aren't Christian prayers uh, necessarily. those, Those are First Nation prayers. We pray to the Creator or the Great Spirit, and sometimes we just do little ceremonies to the spirit world. I'm often given the, a little offering before meals and I have to go outside and put it by a tree and say a little prayer. Um, so again, those are not Christian prayers, but I, don't, I believe that God hears them. Uh, and, uh, and that's something I do that is, that is prayer. But I don't really pray on my own. I never really have. Uh, as part of getting ready for the sermon, I went back. You can go and listen. Five years ago, Pastor Keith preached like half a year on prayer. I went back and listened to those. And I remember being in the church when those were happening. And even then, like I had no impulse to start a prayer life. I I did not. But uh, but yeah, I went back and listened to those. So really, the, the one thing that got me to start a personal prayer life was being told to preach on it. So uh, maybe if each one of us can do a sermon on prayer, maybe we'll we'll all be be praying. Anyway, so a lot of you are probably thinking, Scott, why are we going to listen to you then? And I just have a feeling that I'm not alone in this, right? That there's other people who are kind of like me, and I think in my journey since December 17th, when I've been going through this, that maybe my experience can be helpful in the kind of things I've learned. So we're going to look at two questions. For today, why do we pray and how should we pray? And then we'll do some praying together. So that's the basic plan. So in your little booklet, if you flip to the section on prayer, which starts on page five, you don't have to because it's right there, um, this is what it says about why we pray. So prayer opens the doorway for communication with God with the primary objective to be transformed rather than get what we want. So in that little statement, it suggests a couple of reasons for why we might pray. So the purpose number one for why do we pray is to get what we want. And it says that's not why, but that happens. And I'm going to tell a story because when I was a kid... Uh, in church. Um, a man in my church seemed like an old man to me at the time. He was older than my parents. He, uh, he had an accident and ended up in the hospital. And uh, it seemed like he could pass away. So the congregation was, was going to rally and pray for his recovery. And it went on for several weeks. It was very important that everybody pray. Pray a lot. Um, we were talking about a lot. We read this, these verses from James 5, a lot. I remember this distinctly, these ones. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven." So confess your sins to one another and pray for another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. So I was a bit of a a smart aleck kid, and I would question the like why do all of us have to pray? Like, is there a certain like number of people that have to pray before God listens? Surely, like, that's not how God works. He doesn't, like, count how many people pray and, like, someone with lots of friends gets, you know, their prayer answered and someone who does not have a lot of people, that does not make sense. And I was like, why do we need to pray for a long time? Why pray for 10 minutes? Maybe God wants lots of little prayers. Let's do, uh, you know, 20, 30-second prayers instead of ten uh, one 10-minute prayer. Like, what's better? And I would do these kinds of, you know, questions because it seemed silly and I was being kind of intentionally difficult and I know that no one one at the church thought that there was some kind of magical prayer minute threshold we had to reach before God would listen but in a sense it's how everyone was acting like we were all trying to pray a lot for this person and no one was articulating a different vision of prayer. Like, why are we praying for this person in this way? And in the end, you know, there was no healing in that case. So what do we do with, like, these kinds of verses, and there's lots of these kinds of verses in the Bible um, that promise healing and imply there should be healing uh, as a result of prayer. Healing, answer to prayer, anything like that. And it's really easy to be like, oh, you know, oh, it a righteous person, so wasn't righteous enough, or it didn't confess my sins enough. And you go in, and that's what the kind of things that were going through people's heads. So, sometimes we call this notion of praying to get what we want the Santa Claus God scenario. We send our prayers to God, like letters to Santa Claus, and we wait for the gifts to come, and God might even have some kind of naughty or nice list that is a criteria of whether or not he'll answer. So we generally, at grassroots, reject this model of thinking about prayer. But, again, it kind of quickly leads to like big questions. Like, why does God intervene? How does God intervene? Why do bad things happen to good people or happen at all? I'm not going to try and articulate answers to those, but like it says in your book, this is not the primary reason why we pray. However, it's still important, I think, that we bring our desires and to God in prayer. And we still believe that prayer matters and creates change. It's just a bit more mysterious and less transactional than pray for a thing for a certain number of minutes and you'll get it. And I know that some of you, like, some people have experienced more personal and profound non-answers to prayer than even, like, I've experienced. And this is, could be, like, a huge barrier to why people feel weird about praying. Because, like, what does it do anyway? Like, I prayed for this thing that was really important back then, and, you know, the bad result happened. So, and I, I don't have an answer for you today, but, you know, I'm hoping if we can look at prayer a little differently, maybe uh, it could be something that helps you get past it. But again, I know these are big things, sometimes traumatic things. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, like, glide by it, but we're going to glide by it a little bit. Purpose number two is we pray to communicate with God. So this notion is like, oh, God is your friend. And God loves you, and you love God, and why wouldn't you want to talk to your friend? You know, don't you love, talk to the people you love. And God loves you, and he cherishes when you talk to him, and you can just talk to God like you're talking to a person. And of course, like, praying to God is not like talking to a person. You can't look at God, or touch God, or we usually don't expect to hear God answer. At least, I don't. Praying is much more weird than talking to a person. Again, for me, anyway. There might be some people who this really works, right? They can think of God as a companion and a parent and a person and just talk. But this is not something that's ever worked for me. And I'm always kind of weirded out by thinking about, oh, you know, talking to God like, makes him happy and if you don't talk to him, he's lonely and sad. Like, it seems like we're, we're very much taking very human emotions and, and putting them onto, onto God. I don't know if that's exactly wrong, but again, for me, like, as a way to pray and as an, a, like a motivation to pray, this never really worked. And really, primarily, the, the problem here is that when I pray, I don't feel the response. If I'm a child opening up to my parent, if that's the metaphor we're using, it's a parent who doesn't say anything back, who doesn't acknowledge that I'm talking to them, doesn't acknowledge me in any way. And that doesn't feel like, you know, like a, a reason to pray. So praying is much more weird than talking to a person, but it's okay if it doesn't feel natural or if you don't feel a response. And if someone's telling you, like, oh, don't you love God? If you really love God, you'd be able to talk to God. Like, that's the that's kind of, like, shaming that we don't, and judgment that we don't want as part of this, right? Like, it's, you know, you're not, it's all a matter of growth, and you might not be in that place right now, and that is fine. So the kind of third reason to pray is we're going to pray To be transformed. And if you kind of read that sentence in your book, you'll know this is kind of the right answer. Um, And we are, I think if we explore this, we can even try and shed some light on the previous two things. But to start with, I still kind of, (laughs) I'm still kind of a curmudgeon. I don't like this answer either. Um, Because it seems like when you read it first, it seems like self-help, you know, like, oh, you're going to be a better person if you pray. And, like, you know, like drinking eight glasses of water or stretching or something like that. Like, it's, it's a way to, it's a self-help, self-improvement kind of thing. You get this if you read about prayer. You know, they're like, oh, studies show that people who pray every day have lower stress and a better heart rate and and this kind of thing. That kind of notion of prayer can subtract God from the equation. Like, you don't really need God, you can just sort of like be quiet and shut your eyes and meditate, and that will, will be the same whether someone's listening to you or not. And, and yeah, so, where are we here? This is going to happen for a few of the spiritual disciplines that talk about transformation It's not the same as self-improvement or self-help, at least not the world's version of that. We're not trying to become better, at least not better as, you know, the world kind of thinks of it. We're trying to become more Christ-like. Christ lived on charity. Christ died early. Um, Christ was basically homeless. Like, we're not looking to, you know, live better, and prayer is not, that's not the point of prayer. We're trying to be more Christ-like. If you want to meditate to lower your stress and improve your heart health, go for it. But praying is more than that, or it's supposed to be more than that. So the notion is not just praying improves you, it allows God to work on your heart. You're giving permission to God to transform your heart, to soften your heart into the heart of Christ. And we can look back at some of the things we talked about earlier. When you pray about things you want, about your desires, you're giving those over to God and asking God to gradually align your desires with his desires. And in that way, God's desire is to bring God's kingdom to earth. So over the long haul, that's... Going to happen, we have faith. So, in that way, we pray for things we want, not because we want those specific things to happen, although we do, but because we know that giving those desires over to God is the way for Him to work on our heart and align our desires with God's desires. And in the same way, too, if we keep kind of going to God and praying, that's going to soften our heart. It's going to make us more receptive, more perceptive to see God's presence, to see God's response around us. So the point of prayer, we have this authentic, honest conversation with God where you express the desires of your heart in such a way that you are transformed into someone whose desires are aligned with God and you feel the presence and response of God all around you. So yeah, most of the time, that that doesn't really do it for me either. Um, like, it just... It doesn't seem like when I pray that that is happening. So I, do, I, I ran into this long kind of passage from Henry Newman, and he says that one of the experiences of prayer that it seems like nothing happens, which is reassuring to hear from someone who is a respected, I don't know, theologian. When you stay with it and look back over a long period of prayer, you suddenly realize that something has happened. What is most close, most intimate, most present can often not be experienced directly, but only with a certain distance. When I think I'm only distracted, just wasting my time, something is happening too immediate for knowing, understanding, and experiencing. Only in retrospect do I realize that something very important has taken place. Isn't this true of all really important events in life? When I am together with someone I love very much, we seldom talk about our relationship. The relationship, in fact, is too central to be a subject of talk. But later, after we have separated and write letters, we realize how much it has all meant to us and we even write about it. So again, the idea is it might not feel like something's happening, but if you have faith and you press forward, you look back over a long time. I'll say with experience, that long time is longer than a month (laughs) because I've been doing this for a month and I look back over it and it still seems like nothing much has happened. That you're going to recognize the movement of God in your life. But I only find this somewhat convincing, so I have added reason number four to pray, and that is to pray because God told us to. In the Bible, there's lots of verses. This is pray without ceasing. I like my Bible um, translated it constantly pray. Um, This is not a joke. I think it's a... Sometimes, even if you don't understand why intellectually or feel it emotionally... Just doing something because it's an instruction given to Christians is kind of a, a an expression of faith. And you can pray just because it's a thing you're supposed to do, and I think that's fine as well. It's a discipline. You were disciples. All right. So that's essentially why I was praying. There's reason number four. I was praying because... I was, you know, this is something that Christians do, the commandment of God. So, now we've established the reasons to pray. We're going to go into part 2, and that's how to pray. So, Jesus' disciples asked him this. This is from Luke 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he stopped one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So he said, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And do not lead us into temptation. So for Jesus, this is a very direct answer to a question. Jesus often doesn't answer questions. If you read in the Bible, someone comes up, asks Jesus a question, he just asks them a question back, what do you think about this? Or tells him some kind of strange story. This is an answer. Someone asked him how to pray, and he told them. The other thing Jesus doesn't say here is that it was a dumb question. He doesn't say, prayer is just talking to God. Don't you know how to talk to God? He's He's saying, you know, it's okay, you need to be taught. I'll teach you, I'll give you some words. There's no kind of like, this is something you should already know how to do. And it almost acknowledges, yeah, yeah, prayer is weird, you need some help. So I think one way to pray in terms of how to pray is just to say those words. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, if that's your method of prayer, I know, like, even listening back to Keith's sermons, there's was like, obviously you just don't say those words. And I was like, really? I don't know, I think, I think you can. It, it's fine. But it's not all the only accessible way to pray. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus praying with different words. We see the disciples praying with different words. And practices all the time. So, if we want to keep in mind that the point of prayer is supposed to be personal transformation, I think that's going to help us figure out how we should pray. And I guess I'm talking about each individual. So there are thousands of years and millions of Christians for us to to learn from. And so I put together five kind of prayer techniques um, that you can use there's many more. I sort of left out the ones that are mostly silence because silence is someone, someone, else, someone else is preaching on. I left out the ones that were mostly Bible reading because Bible reading is a discipline someone else is preaching on. So these are just sort of the real kind of prayer, prayer ones. Five. All right, method one, spontaneous prayer. So when I grew up, this is like the only kind of normal prayer that you should do, right? Just pray with on your heart. Um, it's the only kind of real way to pray. You know, I grew up in a kind of very Catholic, the, the churches around me, a lot of Catholic churches and they would often like pray Hail Marys and pray our fathers and our by, my church community was generally like look down on that a little bit. Cause that's, they called it even vain repetition, which is uh, like you were using God's name in vain cause you were just saying it without thinking what it meant, which I realized now is, Really offensive, right? So, uh, but if you could just pray what's on your heart, that's great. So this morning in, uh, you know, when you're praying for, before church, that was mostly spontaneous prayer. If this, if you can do this and this works for you, that's great. I think one of the reasons I think I'm really bad at prayer is because I was never able to do this, especially by myself. I I feel like I needed a bit more of a structure to lean on. So method number two is something called a breath prayer. This is a short prayer. You say in one breath, following the rhythm of your breathing, you say something when you breathe in and something when you breathe out. It's a, a form of centering prayer. So a lot of people will use this kind of to open up a prayer session And you go through it like that. So this sounds like something your yoga teacher would tell you to do. But I assure you, this is an ancient Christian practice. Um, Similar things appear in other religious practices because everybody breathes. So it's kind of a natural thing to do. But it's not like Christians copied this from Buddhists in the 60s or anything like that. This is something they've been doing since the third century. Um, Probably the most common and sort of like earliest breath prayer is Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, or Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, something like that. It's taken from Mark 10, 47, so you say one on the uh, breathing in and one breathing out. Um, but again, it can be anything, it can be something you change throughout the day, Um or throw different things for different days, stuff like that. So, breath prayer Again, I'm, I think I'm just too much of a thinking person. This is not something that, that jives with me very well. So I, I really wasn't, not the way I went with it. Method number three is called the prayer of examine. So this was invented by St. Ignatius in the 1500s. And this is something the Jesuits are very into. So essentially here is something I think people often do this at night. So you put yourself in God's presence. Maybe you do a breath prayer, give thanks to God, pray for God's grace to help you understand. And then you go through your day. What happened to you today? How did you feel? What did you do? Those kinds of things. How did you see God in those things? Were you drawing closer to God or further away? And you think about the next day, how might you collaborate more effectively with God's plan? And uh, and then, yeah, they, they want you to conclude with an Our Father. So I didn't choose this one, but I kind of wish I had. There's like a website, Jesuits.org, um, that has different... Like, they all follow that basic five steps, but they actually give you the sort of things to think about. And they have different ones for whatever's on your heart. I've got, the, you know, the, an ecological one, a racism one, um, and so on and so forth. An examine for white allies, an examine during COVID-19. These were like, there was six of them. There must have been 20 different ones there that you could do. And if you want to go, you can take out your phone and take that picture. But if you go to jesuits.org, you'll see. So, you know, St. Ignatius, big saint back in the 1500s, if you do no other prayer, do this one. He thought it was really important. All right. And method number four is movement prayer. And I chose this one because a few blocks from my house, uh, there's this prayer labyrinth, that prayer labyrinth, actually. And, uh, you know, the idea is when it's not, there's not snow on the ground, you walk along that path and it's not a maze. It takes you along the path and it takes you, you weave back and forth, weave back and forth, and you get to the middle and you weave back and forth, weave back and forth, you get out. So it t- turns this like small area into a long walk. And as you're walking, there's little prayers that you can do. You can get a little booklet from the church that tells you what to pray, or you can just do your own. So movement prayer can be like a prayer labyrinth like that. It can be some kind of longer pilgrimage that you do. Pilgrimage is a spiritual discipline that wasn't on the list, but it's one that a lot of people do. And again, that can be combined with different types of prayer. A lot of people, when they're praying for the city, like to walk around the city, stuff like that. Those kinds of movement prayers are another kind of ancient sort of thing that people do. All right, method number five is confusingly called liturgy. We sometimes think of liturgy as like, you know, the what you do in a Sunday service. But liturgy also can mean You're going to take a prayer that someone else wrote, and you're going to read that prayer as your prayer, and that's called liturgy. So a lot of people here will use a prayer book, a book of common prayer, something like that, used by people all around the world. So when I was researching this, I saw a lot of people say, like, "Oh, you know, using a a written prayer—that's great for like if you're tired, or you know, if you don't know what you're doing." Or, you know, if you're traveling, you don't have your normal routine. And I was like, again, I found that like, a little insulting. Like, lost people pray with prayer books. N.T. Wright prays the the prayer book. So uh, I think that it's uh, completely valid. And in fact, that's the way I ended up going. Because so I was like, look, I don't have a prayer life. I don't know what to say. I feel weird doing it. I'm just going to follow a prayer book. So people combine, you know, people will do a breath prayer and then do their prayer of examine or, or just their spontaneous prayers. People combine different things. When you're choosing, I think there's a, a need to like, you don't want to pick something that's the easiest one for you. It's like, oh, you know, I already go for a walk, so I'll just call that a prayer. Because that's, you're not really going to transform your life if you're doing something that's super easy. But you want it to be something you're comfortable with enough that you'll actually do it. So there's a a balance there. And again, if the object is to transform your heart, think about, okay, does saying the Lord's Prayer once a day transform my heart or not? If if it's not something that's going to mean anything to you, then you want to look for something else. So I heard someone once say, and I tried and tried to find out who it was, but I couldn't find it, but it was on a podcast, I think, And this person was a respected theologian. He says he prays with written prayers because he finds if he's just praying what's in his head, it's stuff that he already thinks. And he's like, I'm not going to change when I keep kind of going back around and around in my own head with stuff I already think. So like praying a prayer that somebody else wrote is going to be more likely to transform me. And that rang true to me. So that's what I decided to do. I was going to pray using a prayer book. So how to choose a prayer book. I think it's good to start with a tradition that's a tradition that's close to you if there's no kind of trauma there. So I grew up Mennonite, so I looked for, is there a Mennonite prayer book? I had no idea. I don't think there'd be anything wrong if I, started, I want an Eastern Orthodox prayer book, but then I'd have to kind of like learn a whole new way of thinking, a way of like, almost like learning a new language if I went with that. But a Mennonite prayer book I thought would be good. So they do have a prayer book. It's called Take Our Moments and Our Days. And there's an app version that's free, which is nice. And you can use these QR codes to go get your own version of the Mennonite prayer book. Um, One complication is the Android one isn't working. Uh, I somehow got in before this, but they've updated Android, and now that version didn't update. So it... uh, It doesn't work, but uh, hopefully they fix that soon. Or if you can get like an old phone that hasn't been updated yet, you might be able to get it. If you manage to get it on your phone, you get grandfathered in, but Steve tried to download it and it wouldn't work. I don't know about the Apple version. It may or may not work. All right. This app has prayers for every evening and morning according to the church calendar. And I've been doing... Just the morning prayers since December 17th. I haven't missed a day. Today, we're going to do them together, so that's going to count. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I either wake up early, and, um, which I tend to do anyway before the rest of my family, and I just go to the living room and go through my prayers, or I, I go to work early, which, again, I tend to do anyway, and I just go to my office, and I do my prayer there. And for me, like, it's important that I say them out loud, uh, I feel like if I just kind of read them in my head, it would be reading, it wouldn't really be praying. So I've been uh, I've been saying them out loud as I go. Uh, one regret I have is that I didn't start from the beginning with a journal. Um, that would have been smart of me. Because every once in a while, like something really kind of profound hits me as I'm going through this, and I don't write it down. And almost by the time... It's a relatively long kind of daily thing. By the time I get to the end, I have forgotten it. So... If I am to give advice, it would be have a pen and paper nearby if you're doing your daily prayer, whatever kind of daily prayer you're doing. So we're going to close today by going through today's prayer from Take Our Moments and Our Days uh, from the app. So it is designed to be used individually or corporately. So we're going to do the corporate version because the corporate version has parts that I read and parts that we all read together, little titles that nobody reads. So, uh, you know, some churches do communal reading a lot and some don't. So it's okay if we sound a little silly, but uh, we're going to close. So you can just stay in your seats and uh, when the bold parts come on, that's for everybody to say. All right. So let us pray. Now, Lord, Lord, You let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You withheld sleep from my eyes. I was troubled. I could not speak. I thought of the days long ago and remembered the years past. At night, I mused within my heart. I pondered my, and my spirit questioned. Will the Lord reject us forever and no longer show favor to us? Has God's love vanished forever? Has God's promise come to an end? Will God forget to be gracious, or in anger withhold compassion. I said, this is what causes my grief, but the way of the Most High has changed. I remember the deeds of the Lord. I remember your wonders of old. I muse on all your works and ponder your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who works wonders. You showed your power among the peoples. You are a strong-armed, redeemed your people, the children of your Jacob and Joseph. Let the righteous be joyful. Let them exalt before you, O God. Lord, I will sing of your power. Every morning I will sing of your faithful love. Let us live as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and true. Now, Lord, you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Mine own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. I will open the windows of heaven for you, says the Lord of hosts, and pour down an overflowing blessing. For those who revere your name, O God, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. God of mystery, you want the light of your presence to pervade our lives. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. I'm just going to do it from there. You came to us, and do not keep silence. We pray for ourselves and those dear to us. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Your light is not overcome by darkness. We pray for our community and our neighbors. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Your grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all. We pray for the church in all places that we may be one. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. You delight in all that is good and right and true. We pray for the world that your reign may come and your will be done on earth. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. We offer you other concerns we carry in our hearts. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God of light, your rising reveals all things in their true proportion. Illumine our lives that we may see rightly, love deeply, and act justly. In the example of Jesus, we pray for the advent of your reign. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. Uh, We're going to do one more Christian practice today, and that's communion. Here at Grassroots, I'm going to say a prayer, and then anyone, anyone who wants to can come up. You take the bread, dip it in the cup. I'm going to read an ancient Celtic prayer for communion from the 8th century. We believe, O Lord, we believe we have been redeemed by the breaking of Christ's body and the pouring of his blood. We rely on this sacrament for strength, confident that what we now hold in hope, we will enjoy in true fulfillment in heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. You are welcome to the table.